there is one sermon that I am an expert on, it would be this sermon. This morning, the topic of our sermon is sin. And if all of us were honest, we would all say we're experts on this topic. Because all of us, as God's Word states, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have sinned because of our nature, because each and every one of us are sons or daughters of Adam. We have all come from Eve. For she is the mother of all the living. But we're also experts at sin because of choice. It was my choice to lie to my parents. It was my choice to steal. It was my choice to do all the sins that I have done. And it will be my choice to do the sins that I will commit out in the future. Just as it will be your choice to commit those sins. This morning in Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3, I want you to see, for I have seen, but I want you to see, Three things about sin. I want you to see the enticement of sin. I want you to see the failure of sin. And I want you to see the judgment of sin. If you have a copy of God's Word with you, turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, and we'll read down through the middle of Genesis chapter 3 as we see sin entering the world. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25 states, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took up its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and 
the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. Then the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust. And to dust you shall return. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I bow before you and God, I ask Lord, that you would allow us as individuals to hear from you today. Lord, as I've stated in my introduction, every single one of us are experts at going against you. Every single one of us have our justifications of why we do this or why we did that that went against you. Father, I pray that as we look at this passage that you would allow us to see spiritually this morning afresh and anew. How much you love us. What you've done for us. As it pertains to taking away our sin. May we see the problem, yes. But Father, might we also see the solution that you have given. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. The enticement of sin... Is strong. The enticement 
of sin is strong. But before we look at the fall, it is a story, it is a passage, it is something that you and I probably know frontwards and backwards, and it's something that that I'm not going to impart to you any new knowledge, more than likely, about the subject. But before we get there, might you and I be reminded of the state that Adam and Eve were in prior to Genesis chapter 3. Think about this setting for just a moment. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The setting is a perfect garden. The, The setting there is perfect creation that they are walking amongst, they are walking in day and night, that they are living in. The setting is that Adam and Eve were perfect. They were both naked and they were not ashamed. And into this setting comes something that is juxtaposed, that is opposite of everything that has been. There is 1,189 chapters in the Bible. 1,189 chapters. And the chapter that I read the portion of for you today is the darkest chapter of all of Scripture. Genesis chapter 3 is the darkest chapter in all of Scripture for it shows how man, God's special creation, chose to go against God. And for the next 1186 chapters, there's imperfection. Perfection for two chapters and for the next 1186. And you say, Brian, what about the end of Revelation? Yes, the end of Revelation is that he will do away with All of these things. But because of Genesis chapter 3, it is the darkest chapter. The setting is perfection, yet interjected into that is this serpent. Temptation and sin enter by way of enticement. Satan, the serpent, entices Eve to eat of the tree of knowledge and of its fruit. Enticement is all around you today. You say, how is enticement all around me today? You and I are enticed by pretty much everything. I mean, we're enticed. We look at a television commercial and we are enticed by a green little lizard to change our insurance because it might save us money in 15 minutes. Or if we were to watch another insurance commercial, we would be enticed because our neighbor is going to save us enough money to go buy a purse, ladies, or to buy a hawk or a falcon, I think is one of the ones. We are enticed all around us. Another lady comes on and says, you can name your own price and you will get all this coverage. And then finally a masculine voice comes on and says, you know what, there's accident forgiveness. If you would just come here, you might have an accident and we'll just forgive it. 
You and I are enticed. You're enticed in other ways. You look at billboards. I look at billboards. You look at magazine ads and you see someone pick up a bottle. You watch a television ad and you see that person just point to a bottle. He's the most interesting man in the world. And you want to be just like him. And if you were to drink this, although he doesn't drink beer all the time, but when he does, he prefers this. And if you were to drink this, you would be like him. If you were to have this car, you would be like that person in that ad. If you were to have this house, You and I are enticed all the time. So much so that our defenses are either so far up or so far down, we don't even think about it, yet we are being enticed. You and I, as we go to the ballpark, we are enticed by the aroma of Food that is being cooked there. Why are we enticed by it? Because they are so smart that they pipe it right back in on top of the field so that you and I will go and buy everything. Do we need it? No. We don't. But they know. If you smell it, if you see it, you want it. A couple of weeks ago, Nathan and I were in a arena and we got some high-priced chicken tenders and french fries. And he looked at me and said, Dad, these are the best ever. I was like, I don't think so. He said, no, they are. They are the best chicken tenders ever. And I was like, they're the highest-priced chicken tenders I've ever paid for. I don't know about the best. But he enjoyed them. Why? Because he saw them. I saw them. We're enticed by this sound coming through our speakers even now. No, I'm just kidding. Eve listened to the words of enticement. And she was drawn to their sweet honey. She was drawn to the subtleness, yet the alluring captions that were spoken to her by the serpent. Now you and I know the rest of the story. We know that she fell and Adam fell there in the garden. And you're thinking, why in the world did she listen to the serpent? How in the world? I mean, there is no woman here today, I would say, that would listen to a serpent, yet let alone stay close to a serpent. And you know why? It's because the curse of the fall. It's because of what happened at that moment. And God said, I will curse you, serpent, and her offspring, woman's offspring, will hate you. The enticement of sin. We we think it's absurdity that this woman would speak and would listen, would talk with this serpent. And you think, how is that the case? Well, just stay with me for a second. In the next few weeks, you and I will look at Genesis chapter 10. And in Genesis chapter 10, there's this place called Babel. And this place called Babel is where all of mankind has come 
And they say, we don't want to scatter. We, want, we don't want to go to our different places. Why? Because we want to build this tower and we want to get up there where God is. And God says, that's not good. So here's what I'm going to do. I am going to make you not understand the person right beside you. Before, everybody could listen and everybody could hear and everybody could understand all one language. But God says, you know what? You need to spread out. And so he caused confusion over the language between mankind. Is it really that much of a jump? Is it really that much of a leap? To think that there was a time when man and creation could converse with each other? The serpent spoke with Eve. And he enticed her. He enticed her to partake of the fruit. She talks with the serpent. Serpent, He entices her with his words. And they are questions that lead to destruction. Sin seeks to place its hooks in you and in me today. It will do so, so subtly, yet abruptly, just as in the garden. Scripture doesn't tell us how long it took Satan to go into the garden as the serpent and to seek for them to fall. It doesn't tell us how long it was. I state, think that it would not be very long at all because as soon as Satan, as we'll see in just a moment from other passages in Scripture, as soon as he fell from heaven, his sole desire has always been to be on top. So he devised a plan. And that plan was, I will make God's creation, the one that he says he created in his own image, I will make him rebel against his creator. Sin has been stated as this, as something that brings death to the soul, yet is sweet to the taste. The more we sin, the more perverted becomes our taste. The more clamorous our further indulgence But these stolen waters of sinful pleasure are not always sweet. Pleasant, though they may be at the first, they will become bitter indeed. Solomon wrote of it this way in the book of Proverbs. Let me read a few verses. Some of them will be on the screen, some will not. But in Proverbs chapter 5, he states this. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol. Drink, Solomon states, drink from the water of your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, Streams of water in the, in the streets. Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. That's in chapter 5. Chapter 7, he states this, For at the window of my house I have looked out through my lattice and I have seen among the simple 
And I have perceived among the youths a man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, And at every corner, she lies in wait. She seizes him, kisses him. And with bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver as a bird rushes into a snare. He doesn't know that it will cost him his life. The enticement of sin is real. And your adversary and my adversary is seeking to entice you Even now. The enticement of sin is real. It is not reality though. It is real. It is not reality. It is not finality either because the failure of sin is seen. Satan enticed Eve and Adam, because Adam was right there, and if you look at the verbs there, it's plural. Adam was not deceived. He was enticed, and he went willingly. Eve, it states, was deceived. But they both ate, and they both fell. I want us to see today the failure of this sin, as well as the failure of all sin, Your sin and my sin. And it's in two different forms. It's in two different views. First, look at the failure of sin that it does not live up to what it promises. Sin does not live up to what it promises. Back in Genesis chapter 3, Satan says to Eve, If you eat of this fruit, you will not surely die. If you eat of this fruit, you will be like God. That's what it promised. Yet when they ate of the fruit, they died. When they ate of the fruit, they were not like God. Every time you sin, every time I sin, it promises so very much. Yet it never delivers what it promises. It it fails. There's a statement that many a preacher has spoken, yet it is true as true can be. Sin 
will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay and it will cost you more than you want to pay. Satan promises so much, but he never delivers. This past week, I had the opportunity to catch up with a friend of mine. I hadn't seen this friend in over four years. I had the opportunity to sit at at a table and eat a meal with him. And um, as we were sitting there... And we were talking and he was asking about how church was and he was asking about all the people that were around and what was happening in the different churches. Tears started falling down his cheeks. They started falling down his cheeks because five years ago he was my best friend and he was pastoring in this area. Five years ago he was caught in adultery. Five years ago he left his wife five years ago he had a child by the one that he was having an affair with five years ago and as we were eating and as we were talking he was just crying wiping tear after tear away just saying oh I wish that it would not have happened oh I wish Five years ago. It will take, take you and it will take me farther than you want to go. Satan promises so much, but he never delivers. The failure of sin is seen. That he never delivers on what he promises. But second, if you look at this failure, sin destroys The setting was that man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed, but yet the first thing that happens when they sin is they see their nakedness and they are ashamed. It destroys. Sin destroys. Prior to this episode in the garden, God walked with Adam daily. Prior to this happening, everything was very good. There was no bad. But when sin entered, it brought destruction. It brought failure. Failure to trust, failure of a relationship, failure of peace. It brought failure and it brought with it destruction. I want some uh, congregation participation. No, I'm not going to ask you about your sin. But I, I want you to think about your history for just a second. January the 15th, 1919. January the 15th, 1919. No, none of us were alive then, and that's great. What happened that day? Anybody got a thought of what happened? I'll even bring it down into the city of Boston. January the 15th, 1919. Anybody want to take a stab at it? January the 19th, excuse me, January the 15th, 1919, at approximately 12.37, right after noon, there was a steel vat, some 90 feet in circumference, some 50 feet high, that was full 
with 2.3 million gallons of molasses. And that vat burst open. There was a wave, some 30, some people say 40 feet high, that went through Boston, killing 21 people. 150 plus were injured. It it took three weeks of 300 people working 24 hours a day to clean this up. The equivalent of one person working some 87,000 hours, some 10 years of work in this massive cleanup. It ruined the railway around Boston in that particular area. It devastated, it destroyed buildings for blocks. The harbor there in Boston was brown, the color of molasses, well over six months. It is known as the Boston Molasses Flood. And the reason it happened was because those maintenance men there, they knew, everybody knew that that vat, that structure leaked molasses. People in the neighborhoods would come and they would take up the molasses that leaked out and go use it for sweetener at the house. It was a common practice. But instead of fixing the vat, the maintenance men decided, you know what, let's just paint it the same color as the molasses. And so they did. They painted the vat brown. No one knew. January 15th, 1919, everybody knew. Why do I tell you the story? I tell you the story because it humored me as I read about it, yes. But I tell you the story because it's the same thing about your sin. It's the same thing about my sin. We think that nobody will know. We think, oh, there is nobody around. Nobody knows what is happening right now. Nobody knows my thoughts. Nobody will ever find out. I'm just going to paint my life the same color that everybody's looking at. Yet, we find ourselves standing in the ruins, just as they did that day back in January of 1919, waist high of molasses. Everybody around is affected by your sin. Everybody around is affected by my sin. Every single one of us have been affected by the sin that took place all the way back in the garden. The failure of sin is seen because it destroys. It destroyed a perfectly great relationship with the Father. Hebrews chapter 11 verses 24 through 26 states this. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 25, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. 
Sin may be fun for a season. Sin may be fun for a season. It is. But it never delivers on what it promises. It fails. It fails on so many levels. It breaks a relationship with the Father as we see here. Sin always, always leaves you broken, battered, and wanting. All because sin fails to deliver what it promises. So men, when you're alone and you're looking at that screen and you're looking at those two words that say click here, you think nobody ever is going to see. They'll see. So ladies, when you're at the job site and the coworker or the boss is just feeding you with encouraging words of affirmation and building you up. And your mind wanders. You say, I, I, I'll just have this. This is just my time. And you think for just a moment that the grass is greener outside the fence of marriage. Might you know and might I know that the grass is not greener outside that fence. It brings destruction. The statement that nobody will ever know is so false. Sin and its consequences will find you out and all will see the devastation. It fails to deliver what it promises as well as it fails to bring life because it brings destruction and death. So is there hope? Yes, there is. There's hope because you, you and I can plan, you and I can pray, and you and I need to understand and know something. Plan. Make a plan now before you find yourself in the middle of the temptation, before you find yourself in sin's tentacles and that they're wrapped around you. Make a plan. I've spoken with that gentleman in the past. Hadn't seen him for four years. It happened five and six years ago. But I asked him, how did it happen? He said, very slowly. See somebody here, see her here, see her there. A word here, a word there. It was not an abrupt thing, but very slowly. And he said, I just didn't do what I knew I needed to do. Make a plan. Pray. Seek the Father and His wisdom. Seek His help. Seek His safety. Seek His faithfulness. Seek His strength. And know this, Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5 to those that were under persecution, to those that were coming under the wrath of a government that was seeking to annihilate Christianity. He wrote to them to be encouraged and he says, be sober minded, be watchful. And know this, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You and I have been blessed 
We've been blessed so much that we seldom think of the enemy. We're so blessed and we're so busy. So much responsibility. We don't even think about the enemy. But there is an enemy. You have an enemy. If you are a child of the king, you have an enemy. He desires to devour you. He desires to see right where he is. Destined for destruction. He desires to see you exactly in that spot. Satan seeks to bring destruction upon your life right now. He seeks to thwart the plans of God. He seeks to stop, to hinder, to slow down, whatever he can. The advancement of the gospel. And he is out to get you. Is he the boogeyman? No, he is not. But he is real. And he is the one who has a plan. And he is working that plan out right now to see you destroyed. As a child of the king, you cannot be destroyed. But he works to stop God's rule and reign in your heart right now how does he do it he desires to get you to look at the short term to look at the right now to look at the temporary to to see today don't don't worry about all the things that will come down the road but look right now you deserve it you need it you want it go for it whatever it is gets you to buy into the enticement of sin and the pleasantry of sin instead of the long term and the destruction and the failure. Third and finally this morning we see the judgment of sin is sure. Verses 14 down through verse 19 I read for you and I saw and you saw as you heard the words spoken, there is judgment to sin. The first thing that Satan did when he tempted Eve in that enticement was that he questioned the divine doctrine of judgment. It is the first doctrine of God that is questioned. It's, it's the first one that is thrown out. Did God say that you're going to die? You, you won't surely die. Surely there will be no judgment for your decision today. Yet there is judgment. And that judgment came swiftly. That judgment came that very day. That judgment came that very moment. God had promised, God had said, you will surely die. Spiritually, man and woman died right there. Physically. They were cast out. And physically, they were going to die. There is judgment to sin. It is sure. Satan attacks God at one of his core values. It is the justice of God. God had thrown him out of heaven. And because of that, he desired to be God. I heard a sermon once 15 years ago on Psalm chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. 
Psalm chapter 14, verse 1 is this verse. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The points of the sermon were look out, look in, and look up. Look out. You, you look out at the creation of this world and you will know that there is a God. Whether it's the mountains, the flowers, whether it's the creation itself, the things that we call pets, the waves crashing, the difference in the seashells. It was not long ago that we went to the beach and the tropical storm came through and because of that it washed up numerous seashells that would not have been there. And just the variety, variety that I'd never seen. And I've seen a number of seashells. I'm not an expert on it, but I've seen a number of seashells. And I picked up a couple of them, and I was like, I've never seen these two halves together with barbs coming off of it looking like a ball. It, it was something else. There was a muscle inside of it, a living seashell. And as it stuck in my foot... My first thought was, wow, God. No, it wasn't. It was, ouch. But then as I looked at it, it was, God created it. The fool says in his heart that there is no God. Look out. Look in. I showed you last week or told you last week about a postage size segment of skin and all the different things, the millions and billions of things that go into making it stay alive. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Look up. Look up into the sky and see the heavens and know that they are all in the hollow of God's hand. Oh, there is a God. And He is the one who rules and reigns and has triumphed over our adversary. He states in Isaiah chapter 14, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. How you are cut down to the ground. You who laid the nations low. You said in your heart that I will ascend to the heavens. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble? Who shook kingdoms? Who made the world like a desert and overthrew its cities? Who did not let his prisoners go home? All the kings of the nations lie in glory. Each in his own tomb. But you are cast out away from your grave. Like a loath branch. Clothed with the slain. Those pierced by the sword who go down to the stones of the pit like a dead body trampled underfoot. The one group of people that I do not understand. I can't understand this one group of people that worship Satan. The one character 
that is found in this book that was created by God and is defeated, is thrown and destroyed, they worship it. Judgment of sin is sure. The judgment of your sin, as well as the finality of Satan's judgment, is sure. Your sin is judged today, River Bend. With it comes consequences. With it comes broken fellowship. With it comes destruction of relationships that are here on this earth. With it comes sickness. With it comes disease. With it comes death. You say, Brian, that is weighty, weighty stuff. Yes, it is. As we will see later in depth, later this fall, Satan is thrown into the fire of eternal punishment, eternal judgment. He is judged and found lacking. Turn from your sin today. Turn today. Don't walk any longer in it. It will not bring what it promises. If you are a son or a daughter of the King, if you have accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord today, He has given you freedom. He has paid the price for all your sin. Whether it was in the past, whether it is happening right now that you just want me to hush and go on, or it's out in the future, He has paid for all your sin. Because of this, it doesn't give you a license to go and do whatever you want. It draws you and it draws me closer and closer to Him. So come to Him today. Come to Him and thank Him for what He's done for you. Come to Him and say, I want so much more of you. Oh, I have wandered. Oh, Father, I have wandered. And I want to come back. Heavenly Father, we bow before You. God, there is not one person here today that can say, I've never wandered away from You. Father, there is not one person here today that can say, I've never sinned against You. For every single one of us sin because of our nature. And every single one of us sin, Father, because of our choice. Lord, might we understand that our adversary is seeking to devour us. And he has a plan in place for us as individuals. He has a plan in place for our families. He has a plan in place for this local body to hold it back, to hold us back. Might we understand that we are in the midst of a spiritual battle, a spiritual war that is raging all around us. 
Father, might I know that the way that I advance your name and I advance the kingdom is on my knees. Father, my battle, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against Jackson or Washington or the Democrats or the Republicans or the Independents. Our battle is not against our mate, our family, our friends, our foes. Father, our battle is against our adversary. Lord, may we not overestimate Him and think that He is some great equal power to You. He is a created being that will be eternally punished. But Father, might we not underestimate Him and think that He is walking around red with a pitchfork and pointy ears, for that is not who He is. Might we run to you today. Maybe you need to come to the altar this morning and you just need to bow your knee to the Father again and you need to trust Him. Trust Him with finances. Trust Him with the job site. Trust Him with school. Trust Him with the direction that He has for you. Maybe you don't know Him today and you want to know him let, him, let me be the one to introduce him to you. Stephen and the praise band are going to lead us. Might you join in and worship, might you come and obey as we stand and as we sing.